the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Welcome. So glad that you are here. Just a gentle reminder that you should subscribe to this podcast because that means you get new episodes delivered right to you whenever they are available. If you found us on Syracuse.com, you found us on social media, found us by other means, fantastic. But just know we're on iTunes, we're on Google Play, we're on SoundCloud, and if you subscribe, it gets sent right to your favorite place where you listen to podcasts. Hope you can check out some prior episodes of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. In episode 41, we had Scott Hansen of the Red Zone. Oh, man, what a great conversation we had with him. Told some terrific Coach Mac stories, why he felt like he was the Rudy of the Syracuse football teams that he played for, and life on a Sunday during one of the great inventions in the history of sports television, the NFL Red Zone Channel. We talked to Bob Costas a few episodes ago. He told some terrific stories about his time here in Syracuse. Current Syracuse offensive lineman Sam Heckle fights a rare blood disease. It is incredible what he has to go through in order just to get on the football field. He told me all about that in episode 39. So check out the archives, but if you subscribe... It gets sent right to you when a new episode is available. A little bit later on here, we're going to check in with Dave Ryan. Dave is a former WSTM Channel 3 broadcaster. He is a Syracuse University graduate, a Bob Costas Award winner, speaking of Costas, in 1989. And Dave's current occupation is a play-by-play announcer for the CBS Sports Network. You may recall he called Syracuse's first game of the 2018 season against Western Michigan. Caught up with Dave about life as a play-by-play broadcaster. His great memories from his time in Syracuse and bowling. Why did Dave and I talk a lot about bowling? I think you'll find that interesting coming up. But I know what's on your mind. It's Syracuse football. First of all, props to any of the 37,000-plus that were in the Carrier Dome on Saturday. That place was a sauna, okay? You want to lose an easy five or six pounds, just go to a football game in mid-September in the Carrier Dome when it's 88 degrees outside and God knows what inside. Anytime you've got the sideline reporter for ESPN flashing the temperature gauge on the field and what's supposed to be a, yes, here comes the old joke, ready? How about a drum roll? The Carrier Dome doesn't have air conditioning. Waka waka. Yeah, we've all heard that one, right? But seriously, it was ridiculous in there. But 37,000 plus, and everybody watching on ESPN saw Syracuse absolutely dominate Florida State. So listen, can we all be honest about something here? Part of the reason that Syracuse won that game in the fashion that they did is that Florida State's awful. Florida State is a mess. I don't even know if Willie Taggart is going to make it through this season. And as Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports tweeted during the game on Saturday, it would cost Florida State $21 million to buy out Willie Taggart. And if they continue on the pace and the rate that they're at, I think people at Florida State would say, that's a bargain. So we'll see where that goes. It is certainly part of the reason why Syracuse won by the margin that they did. But I say part because you've got to go out there and you've got to execute. You have got to put your backup quarterback in to lead a team to victory. And mind you, Tommy DeVito had played against Western Michigan. He had played a little bit against Wagner. He'd been getting number one reps throughout spring and fall practice. But when the lights are shining against Florida State and their speed, and you've got to come through, he certainly did. The Syracuse defense was brilliant. They harassed DeAndre Francois all day long to the point where I'm sure some of you saw this, but if you didn't, 
there was a couple of times where Francois was tackled by a Syracuse defender and refused to be helped up by his own offensive line, which shows you how frustrated he was about that game. Syracuse had to go out there, execute a game plan, make the plays they needed to, overcome some adversity. The first half in that game, frankly, was awful. Not only by execution, Syracuse failing to get into the red zone, from the red zone into the end zone, I should say, because Dino Babers temporarily felt like Syracuse was like three yards on a cloud of dust and was a power football running team, but they overcame that and we saw the end result of that. So what is this 3-0 start like for Syracuse? as opposed to the last time they started 3-0, which was just three years ago. You'll recall last time Syracuse was 3-0 because Scott Schaefer came to the podium after that game, pounded that podium, and said we're 3-0 and couldn't have said it more emphatically. Well, Scott Schaefer ended that season not the head coach of the Orange. That was his last season as the head coach of the Orange. Dino Babers came in a year later. Dino Babers has since beaten Virginia Tech, number two Clemson, and now Florida State. And each of those wins was followed up by an epic speech that put Dino Babers front and center, Syracuse football front and center, on the highlight shows, going viral on social media, and everything that results of having a coach who gives passionate speeches like that. That's part of the gig. Dino Babers is marketing this program even when he doesn't mean to market this program. But All those wins, mind you, were at home, also represented to recruits and anybody in the ACC that wants to take note that Syracuse is slowly but surely getting the players they need to beat teams like this. Now, those are upsets at home, and I don't even think you can consider Florida State an upset. It's an upset by name brand alone. But Syracuse, are they back? Not quite yet. When will they know? When will we know? When will all know that Syracuse is back? Well, I think it's when you get into the Associated Press Top 25 and you stay there. I can tell you as a voter in the AP poll, and by the way, I did not vote for Syracuse this week. It was one writer from, I believe, Honolulu, so props to that guy for voting for Syracuse. I'm not quite there yet where I feel Syracuse is one of the top 25 teams in college football, and here's why I hesitate to put them in. I've seen plenty of teams get into the poll and get knocked out a week later. Most recent example, Arizona State pulls off the huge upset, Herm Edwards, everybody's loving it, and then they lose this week. So when you get into the poll and stay there consistently, and the last time Syracuse got votes to be in the AP poll, October 23rd, 2011. Think about that. That was off the heels of that Friday night win when Syracuse beat number 11 West Virginia, Geno Smith harassed all day by Scott Schaefer's defense, as a matter of fact. Doug Marone was still the head coach of Syracuse at the time. So the Orange were 5-2. and two. They were coming off a huge win over West Virginia, but they dovetailed for the rest of that season. Syracuse has not been in the AP poll since 2001, and before that, the last time they were consistently in the poll week by week was in the late 1990s. Now, it just so happens this weekend that Donovan McNabb, Donovan Darius, Rob Conrad, Jason Poles, and several members of the 1996-98 to Syracuse football teams were in the Dome and were honored, as those three straight Big East champions should be. That's really the last time you could say Syracuse football was a consistent national threat. Well, this week, as Dino Babers told his team after the game, 
That win over Florida State put them on the map. What Syracuse does to follow that map to success is anybody's guess at this point. Syracuse has not started. There's a lot of first time since here. Syracuse has not started 4-0 since 1991. That was the first year of Paul Pasqualoni as head coach at Syracuse, coming off Dick McPherson going to the New England Patriots. Stats are for losers. Scott Schaefer said that once, right? Well, depending on how much you put into analytics, according to ESPN's FPI, they favor Syracuse in five of the remaining eight games. And by the way, Wake Forest right now is a near 50-50 game. Are double-digit wins? A possibility for this football team? I don't think we want to get that crazy here, but I think what Syracuse is proving is short of the Clemson game, which, by the way, was slated for ABC and a 12 noon kickoff come Saturday, September 29th. But let's go through the rest of the schedule here. So you get UConn next week. UConn is awful. They are one of the more awful football teams I've seen in recent memory, and we just saw a really bad one with Florida State. But UConn, they've already given up 2,000 total yards in three games. Clemson, I know they beat them last year in the Dome. We all remember the upset, but to expect Syracuse to go to Death Valley and beat one of the easily top three teams in college football and what may be the best defensive line I've ever seen on a college football team, I think is a lot to ask. The Orange then go to Pittsburgh, host North Carolina after a bye week, followed by NC State, Wake Forest, Louisville on a Friday night, Notre Dame at Yankee Stadium, which who knows at the end of the season, injuries could be a factor. Notre Dame nearly lost to Vanderbilt this week. They've had some tougher than expected games, but now we're really starting to forecast something that's two months away. It's hard to tell in college football. Syracuse will finish the season at Boston College, who if A.J. Dillon is still healthy, if Anthony Davis, a quarterback, is still healthy, Boston College, who did get back into the AP poll this week, Looks like they're not going to be an easy out. Should Syracuse beat Connecticut this week? They're 4-0 and two wins away from a bowl game, which will also ultimately send up a flare that Syracuse football is back. Syracuse won four games a year ago and four games the year before that. We know what the afterglow of a big upset is. Number two, Clemson. Syracuse is riding high and is the toast of college football. They didn't win another game the rest of the 2017 season. While Florida State is not as big of a win this year, it's a big win by name, brand, and program alone. This feels different. This feels like Syracuse can get that fourth win, get that fifth win, get that sixth win, and perhaps even beyond. So getting AP votes, maybe, just maybe getting back in the AP poll and establishing your foothold in a bowl game, these will be signs that Syracuse football is back. Let's listen in now to my conversation with a former Syracuse sportscaster, a 1989 Bob Costas Award winner. Used to see him on WSTM, used to see him on ESPN. You can now see him on the CBS Sports Network. Let's catch up with our friend Dave Ryan. Oh, it's great to talk to you, Brett. Great to talk to you here in Florida. Uh, gearing up for my CBS game this week, we have Eastern Michigan from the MAC against San Diego State. Just knocked off Arizona State last week from the Mountain West, so it's always fun to go out there and uh, do a game from what well, used to be a Q, which SDSU something something stadium now. But uh, you know, Rocky Long and San Diego State are, are, I would say, one of the most underrated, successful programs in any division, either G5 or P5. They've uh, 
they've really got it going again. Great run defense and a great run game. So it should be fun for us. Dave, uh, you did the opener, Syracuse and Western Michigan, for the CBS Sports Network a couple weeks ago. And, you know, Syracuse won that game, as you know. It was wild. Eric Dungy leaves a little early. Tommy DeVito comes in. Eric Dungy had to come back in. And so it went. And Western Michigan drops 42 points in that game. You say, okay, it's the first game of the season. And we kind of knew that Syracuse defense had some issues to work out. But we're coming off a Syracuse 30-7 to win over Florida State. And the Seminoles may have uh, their own issues here. But when you saw Syracuse a couple weeks ago, uh, is it fair to say you didn't see that coming? Well, I, once I watched Florida State play Virginia Tech to open up the year, uh, and knowing Willie Taggart pretty well from his USF days, we probably did on CBSSN probably uh, 12, 14 of his games. We actually called the 2015 game when Syracuse and Scott Schaefer went down to Tampa and lost, and that was the make-or-break game for Willie. He was on the hot seat. So he went from the hot seat to the hot ticket. <laughs> he got the Oregon job. <laughs> right. Uh, Quentin Flowers was a QB. They went to Syracuse in the dome and beat the Orange uh, pretty handily. Uh, a year later, so I, I knew what he's what he's all about. I knew that was his dream job. You know, he's a Sarasota, Tampa guy, and he's trying to to take over a powerful program at Tallahassee. But when I saw them play Tech and I saw them barely beat Sanford at home, I knew Syracuse was going to be in for a field day. Uh, their offense with Francois back still cannot create anything. I knew going in that that was probably going to be a, a pretty handy Syracuse win handily. I thought, I thought they'd do well, uh, especially in offense. I didn't think the defense would be quite as effective against Florida State, but I, I was not overly, overly surprised, Brent, to be honest with you, Syracuse handled them. And, it, you know, it's funny calling that Western game to open the year. You, you try to be neutral, and we finished the meetings with Dino and his coordinators and Eric and, and Kyler Whitner were saying, uh, you know, <laughs> I can't root for you on the air, but I'm rooting for you. <laughs> and, and I'm rooting for you the rest of the season. So, it was exciting to call. It's always great to call an SU game. It was it was fun to be there and, and see a lot of, of old friends and make some new ones too on the on the Syracuse side. I'll tell you this: UConn is one of the worst teams I've seen in a long time, so I don't think that's going to be a problem. Uh, Clemson will be a problem. <laughs> it's just going to be a problem on the road. Going, but yeah, going uh, from one I, thing I think to the it's going to be four and zero. UConn coming up. And Syracuse hasn't been four and zero since nineteen ninety one. You had uh, just graduated Ow. from Syracuse two years wow. prior to that day. That's crazy. Has it been that long? First, it, that was the first year of Coach Pito. Had that right? That's correct. Coach first back, year, Coach Pito went to the Patriots in ninety one. That's right. Unbelievable. It's, that has been a long, long time. I think it's coming. I, I don't think UConn can compete. I mean, they are kind of as lost as uh, as Florida State is right now. Randy Edsel returning second year offensively inept, unfortunately for them. Uh, I know they beat Rhode Island. That's an FCS team last weekend, but uh, they are not going to be competitive at the Dome. No way. Dave, for you, you know, you call the Syracuse game, and then, you know, you've, you've gone through and, and we're kind of right getting into the groove here in college football. Can you take us through kind of what a college football season is like for you when you get the assignment, how you prep for a game, and how you get ready to kind of roll with the punches here during college football? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's my tenth year at CBS SM, Brian. So it's it's fun. We've been a part of a lot of uh, of the Cinderella stories. I mean, we cover the group of five. So, for example, our channel had Arizona State, which was ranked from Edwards, a cool story, two and zero, beat Michigan State, go to San Diego State. So we will get a, a lot of powerful programs on the road at a G five team we have a contract with. So, for example, we did a Facebook broadcast two weeks ago with Texas San Antonio, UTSA, hosting Baylor. Now, Baylor was only won one game last year, but it's still Baylor. 
So we had, there was a huge following on Facebook, a lot of comments. It was cool to have a power team on the road at one of our G5 teams. And the same with Syracuse at Western Michigan over up the year in, in Kalamazoo. So we get, we get the schedule uh, at the end of June. We have an idea of what our 12 or 13 games will be. CBSSN has two bowl games. We have the Cure Bowl in Orlando. We have the Arizona Bowl in Tucson. So we're able to kind of get some postseason games as well. And this year we're doing the CUSA Championship for the first time. So what we do is we treat every game like it's the Super Bowl. It's a, it's a major broadcast. We have a great CBS production team behind every show we do. And we know it's, it's not going to be Michigan, Michigan State. It's not going to be uh, Alabama, LSU. That's, for, that's for, for big CBS and for ESPN and for Fox. But we take great pride in every show we do on the G5 level. And, you know, I've been a lot, proponent a long time of, of making the group of five have its own championship, of giving the G5 its own Heisman winner. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a separate division. Let's just face it, in, in terms of media, notoriety, coverage, it's not the ACC. It's never going to be. Uh, but it's great football. And, you know, last year the American Conference had more NFL draft picks than the Big 12. So, I mean, it's great coaching. It's great players. Uh, there's some really good games. You just don't have the national media notoriety and following that the Power Five has. So, for us, it's we make the best of every every broadcast we possibly can, and and this will be no exception this week at San Diego State. Dave, you said something that really stuck out to me, and you have taught, and you know I'm teaching up at SU now, and it's amazing mm-hmm. how. You feel like you can do a lesson like a week ago, and it can seem old in some ways with how things evolve Mm technology-wise. And you brought up that Facebook broadcast that you did. Where do you think we're at there in terms of, look, television is still king, and I think it's going to be for a while here, but Facebook and apps and, you know, streaming and all these different venues you have to put a broadcast out there. Do you feel like that the, the principles are the same in terms of preparation, how you present the product? It's just where that product is being presented is changing before our very eyes. Yeah, it is. Week by week, Brent, it really is. It's interesting. It's how things are consumed. It's how they're viewed. It's how they're streamed. Uh, In my preparation, I'll go to YouTube and just put in, for example, Eastern Michigan football 2018. A lot of the games are posted without commercial breaks. (laughs) They're just just, uh, cut out. So it's easy for me on YouTube to watch games and prepare and memorize rosters. Um, the ESPN app is fantastic. The Fox on the Go app is fantastic. Uh, live CBS streaming is great. And it was interesting doing the Facebook game for the first time in my career. It was, we were on the air for almost four straight hours. So for halftime, we had a, a produced halftime segment. We were the halftime studio, basically, with some live interviews with the UTSA athletic director, with our, our sideline reporter, Kathy McKinney, um, and plenty of big-picture stuff to talk about. And really, I found that when we went to commercial break, we had – the game was happening. There were plenty of things going on that Corey Chavis, my outstanding analyst, and I could break down with some replays, with some graphics. We filled the air fine. I didn't mind doing that at all. We didn't see the live comments. We were only fed comments that were sort of uh, interactive and positive, if you will. We didn't see anything negative on our screen as we went. That was intentional. So we just focused on the game, and then the producer would feed us comments as we went. But I found it really interesting to see how many people were involved. There were 20,000 people watching at one point, probably mostly Baylor fans. Uh, and they had a lot of pretty cool things to say about following what we said. So I think that's the future, to answer your question. I think it's going to be highly interactive. People are going to be streaming on any device they possibly can. Um, but at the same time, the big networks are going to have – ABC is going to have a primetime game on cable and on broadcast. 
because they they've got the rights and they've got the money to pay for those rights. So it's kind of it's going to be a hybrid for now, I think, and eventually it's all going to be streamed uh, to, to people's devices. Dave, you lived here for a long time, and of course uh, worked here and graduated from Syracuse University. So there's a lot that you saw just being someone who was here. But what I want to ask you is, what are some of the more memorable stories that you covered? Some of the memorable <laughs> games that you called, maybe while at Syracuse or a part of the media here at Syracuse. What are the things that will really grab you when you were a member of the Central New York media? Oh, wow. That's, that's, you're going way back now, Brian. <laughs> you're going way back in time because my first year at Channel 3 uh, with Matt Mulcahy and, and Tom Hoff and, and Roger, those guys, we're talking 1981, just after Coach Mack went to the Patriots and Coach Pasquale took over. So what, one of my funny stories I tell people is um, – I was asked by our news director at Channel 3 at the time and my, and my management there to host the Syracuse Coaches Show. So it was Coach P's first year, and it was my job to come up with a name for the show, produce the show, and to, um, to host the show. <laughs> so I remember I came up with an idea, and I, and I gave it to management. And then my news director at the time said, boy, they want to call this show. What a terrible name they came up with up in management. <laughs> Those guys don't know anything. They're so stupid. They want to call it Syracuse Football Focus. What he didn't know, it was my idea for the show. But uh, that's what it, it turned out to be. Uh, and I, I, I love having Coach P come in with a player or an assistant. And we produced a show with Adam Benini, who was my, my buddy and my cohort at Channel 3 for many years. He's been in, in Buffalo for doing uh, so well successfully for years after as an on-air anchor. Um, and I, I think, you know, in those days, Brent, it was, it was so cool being a part of the media. I'd gone to school there. Uh, the 96 uh, Syracuse run of the Final Four in, at the Meadowlands, which I think was the last year. It was in a non-football stadium. Uh, old Brennanburg Arena for, for 20000 to watch Syracuse in Kentucky in the national championship. And I remember Rick Pitino and, and Kentucky beat Syracuse and Coach Beheim getting on the cell phone immediately with uh, uh, probably would have been Sue Edson back there, back then as the media relations person handing the phone. And he had just lost the national championship game. He was on WFAN radio immediately doing an interview and being personable. And uh, despite the fact it was such a tough game to lose. Um, gosh, uh, you know, covering John Wallace and Syracuse and some of their great runs and, and how, how great a team that was. He was a Rochester guy. Uh, lacrosse championships, covering those, um, again, just – so many of those stories, I think, come to mind. Um, it was fun. It was fun being an alum, being a fan, trying to be neutral on the air, but knowing that your fan base was was uh, orange and blue. <laughs> it, it was it was a good time in my career. Here's something I'm really curious about, and it's something you have a real background in, and that's bowling. I've never called a bowling match. Frankly, uh-huh. I don't know if I want to, to be honest, but I am curious about it. I mean, how do you prepare for that? What's the broadcast like? I would imagine... There's some real characters on the pro bowling tour. I'm like, I'm fascinated by this because I know nothing about it. So what can you tell me about it? <laughs> well, I owe everything to bowling. My wife, uh, Tess, and I met at a bowling center in Bedford, Oregon during the ESPN show. But that's a different story for a different podcast. Um, so I owe it all to bowling, and you know, we've got three beautiful kids together and, and, and all that. It's great. But uh, back in the day at Channel 3, when I first got there in 91, they had a TV bowling pair in the studio. So next to the news studio was a TV bowl. Uh, there were two lanes. So I would host a show once a week called Championship Bowling, which was for adults who were bowling for money, and Challenge Bowling, 
and they were kids from the area who would come and, and compete. I think I so remember Marty, this. Yeah, Marty, yeah, Marty Piranha. Those lanes have since been destroyed. I think they've been they've been renovated. It's not it's not there anymore. But um, Marty Piranha, may he rest in peace, a legendary USBC Hall of Famer, was the uh, co-host with me, and and we would do these shows. And um, Joe Ciccone, who was a pro bowler for quite a while on the PBA tour, was from Skinny Atlas. He would come and compete. And when he wasn't competing, he keeps stats for us. And he's now our stats guy on the PBA shows uh, and the USBC women's shows on, on CBS. So he's, he's still involved in bowling. We see each other every week. Um, you know, you just learn that, that it's live competition. And the bottom line is it's, it's head-to-head. It's, uh, my job is to narrate and build, build up the exciting moments, tell storylines of, of a big shot. And the hardest thing to do, Brent, was to learn the the proper uh, nomenclature and terminology for how the ball hits the pins and how the pins respond. So if you're a little bit off, in my ESPN days, my first couple of years, I would maybe miss a couple of those calls. And I would get a lot of heat on on the message board, social media, and people complaining to the PBA that I didn't know what I was talking about. So you've got to be very specific, and if you're not right, don't put it in there. <laughs> um, but to me, it's just building up exciting exciting moments and it's just like any sport you do your your job as a live narrator is to enhance the broadcast for the viewers so i try to bring some information and some excitement to the big moments how many 300 games have you seen i think i've called about four or five we had one in 2016 in vegas francois lavoie he's a canadian uh from quebec had one at the men's u.s open show on cbs we had which was fantastic and he won the tournament um, those are like a perfect game in baseball. I mean, it does, it's very, very rare. It's hard to get 12 straight strikes on TV. Well, you know, Brent, what people don't understand is when they watch bowling on TV, they think, well, at my local bowling center, I can bowl four or five strikes a row. Why is that so hard? The, the real issue, the crux of it, is that it's like you and I trying to go to Augusta with the TV, TV cameras on and, and golf against Rory McIlroy and beat him. Or, or outdrive Dustin Johnson. It's not going to happen because the conditions and the competition is so hard. So it's very, very similar in bowling, where if you're bowling on these really tough lane patterns, the TV lights change the oil, the people around you, your competitors change the way the path to the one-three pocket, the one-pin and three-pin uh, adjust as the match, the match progresses and the, and the lanes transition. So the bowlers are guessing quite, quite often, like, what's going to happen next? And it makes it really, really hard. Plus, they're bowling against the world's best for like major championships. There's a lot of pressure. Um, so bowling is much harder than it looks. <laughs> and we try to bring that across to the viewer every week. David, it's great to catch up with you. I always love hearing your voice, not only on a Syracuse game, but when I'm flipping around on a college football Saturday or some of the other events out there. Best of luck to you. I know we'll catch up down the road, but thanks so much for joining us here today on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Sounds great, Brent. Hello to everybody up in Central New York, and uh, get out to Green Lakes and play people. Man, after Dave said that, I definitely remember those bowling shows on WSTM back in the day. How come they got rid of those bowling lanes, by the way? Anyway, thanks for listening to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Always great to have you here. Just a reminder to subscribe. iTunes, Google Play, find the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Hit that subscribe button, and every time there's a new episode, boom, it'll be right there wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks to Dave Ryan for joining us. Thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time. I'm Brent Axe.